Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Is it nicer in here because it's like a proper spring day today, or is it nicer in here because Brad's not here? There's a lot more air in the room. There is a lot more <laughs> air in the room. That man's lungs work overtime. Yeah, makes ours work overtime because I have to hold my breath longer. <laughs> Less oxygen to work with. Make sure we make it to the end of the hour and a half. That's why we have like a soft cap on the uh, the episode length is because we want to make sure that we don't suffer. No brain damage. Yeah. Well, there's still that, but that's unrelated to the oxygen supply. Yeah, that's something else. That's probably all the hockey we've been watching. <laughs> yeah. All right, folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. It is uh, myself, Ryan, and uh, Evan today. Brad wasn't able to make it, um, so you're going to rock with us too. Although we did bring in a special guest to, to kind of ease the pain a little bit. Not in person, but yeah, spiritually. Spiritually and via, you know, microphone. They remoted yep. in. Yeah. So if you were part of the Brad Brigade, uh, two things. One, what's wrong with you? And two, it's not just Evan and I this episode, so don't worry. Uh, welcome to the show here to talk Red Wings hockey. Again, I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast, we'll be talking about, uh, what has happened in the world of the Red Wings, which has been one game, the New York Rangers loss, overtime loss, which, you know. Improvement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Somewhat. Uh, and then a report on the relationship between Jeff Blashill and some of the younger players on the team, which is interesting. So we'll give that a little bit of attention. And then uh, we'll cut to a fun conversation that we've had that we had just earlier with uh, Dmitry Filipovich of the Hockey PDO cast, as well as EP Ringside, getting his thoughts on his favorite Red Wings players, which will probably be similar to yours, and um, the Red Wings rebuild and what's been going on uh, in his mind for Detroit. We'll be chatting about some things that have happened in the world of the NHL, and then we'll jump into overtime. Before we do that, I have two quick notes for you. First of all, Winged Wheel Podcast at night at the LCA. We didn't think we'd get here because it was with shorter notice. It's later in the season, and the game is, you know less important than yep. the November game. Uh, but we have passed the ticket total sold from our first event, which we are doesn't even make sense absolutely blown away by so thank you all so much winged wheel podcast night at the lca for those who don't know is on saturday april 9th uh the festivities start at 4 p.m there's going to be a live podcast recorded from little caesar's arena uh by us the winged wheel podcast featuring ken daniels and mickey redmond there's going to be a meet and greet to meet less importantly us but more importantly the special guests which also include prashant Iyer uh, and some others who will be coming through uh, there's going to be some food and snacks out for you guys as long as it, uh, as long as they're there. Um, and then the bar will be open for you to buy drinks if you'd like. The purchase of your ticket not only gets you access to that event, but also the Red Wings game. The Red Wings take on the Blue Jackets that night at 7 p.m. We have tickets. We filled the gondola. We filled multiple sections in the lower bowl. We filled multiple sections in the upper bowl. So there's still... It's going to just be us in the arena. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want to see... Uh, uh, I mean, wear your Red Wings gear, but it'd be cool to see some Winged Wheel podcast gear up on uh, up on the Jumbotron. So uh, tickets are still available. Link is in the bio. A portion of the proceeds from the discounted tickets benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation, which this whole thing is for. 
And speaking of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, they are hosting a comedy night of hope on Sunday, May 1st at Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle in Royal Oak, Michigan. Tickets are as low as 50 bucks and include a lunch or dinner, depending on which show you go to. The purchase of your ticket goes directly to support a new adolescent substance abuse treatment center that cares for youth regardless of insurance coverage or ability to self-pay. It's a vital lifeline for youth and families in Southeast Michigan. The show features three headliner comedians with Craig Shoemaker, Ian Bag, and Mike Young and is sponsored by Priority Waste and Cranks Catering. To get your tickets, go to jamiedanielsfoundation.org uh, to find out more. So uh, we're going to try to make it out to that. So hope you all do as well. It goes to a great, great, great cause. All right, let's do this. The Detroit Red Wings played and didn't lose 11-2. And that was the main takeaway. Yes, it's upward. Well, upward or downward progress. It depends how you view it, I guess. It's regression to the mean and whichever mean you care to. Yeah. Whichever direction you think they're coming from. So the Red Wings took on the Rangers, who were coming in from a back-to-back, I believe, actually. And it was a um, it was a different game. Like, it wasn't – I don't think the Red Wings dominated. I don't think the Red Wings were the better team, and I don't think that they played especially well through and through. But they still put goals on the board, and that's really all you got to do. Really, it's a it's a good first step. They ended up losing the game five four in overtime, but they took advantage of some pretty poor goaltending from Georgiev. Um, Rasmussen's goal was a softy. Verana's, Verana's goal on the power play, like nice shot, well placed, also a softy. Uh, Bertuzzi absolutely ripped one, and Adam Ernie's goal again. I don't think was extremely high difficulty to save um the reality of it is though from the second period onwards probably from Bertuzzi's goal onwards I think the Rangers controlled play Alex and Delkovich yeah five goals went in but he made some really key saves throughout that game to not only keep it tied multiple times to preserve a lead a couple of times and the Red Wings just got hemmed in. I think the the tying goal for the Rangers came on the power play late in the game, under four minutes left to play, where Detroit was hemmed into their own zone for like five minutes. Yep, took a penalty, and then I I, I tweeted something like Nedeljkovic made a great save to keep um to keep the the game or to keep the lead for Detroit, and then the Rangers were going on the power play, and someone responded to me. They're like, "Wait, it jinx it," which is funny because I did, but at the same time, yeah. it's like. Who thought the Rangers weren't scoring there? No, it's one of those things where it's just snowballing the other way so hard and you get a power play late and when you've got a team that talented, all it takes is that opportunity and yeah. uh, and with how bad the wings have been lately and lacking any confidence whatsoever, it was a perfect equation for a, a late goal game. You can only really do so much against Chris like you can only stop so many Panarin Chris Kreider's Benajad shots and like that is correct Nadelkovich was doing as much as he could Chris Kreider is like guess how many goals he has this year 46 oh yeah (laughs) yeah he does 46 goals it's actually nuts yeah and he is not one of the people I would ever think to be up there for the he's got to be within a couple goals of the the Rocker Richard right now I would He's definitely up there, yeah. Like right up there. If if it wasn't for like the Austin Matthews of the NHL, I think he'd be yeah. So in goals you have Dry Seidel and Matthews at forty nine and Kreider at forty six. Okay, so he's right there. Wild. Yeah. 
the Rangers, man, with Gallant coming in, Kreider having the kind of season he is, Lafreniere looked good. And um, from what I've sort of read is Lafreniere's had a really tough year with Gallant, like not getting ice time, poor deployment. Um, so maybe he's doing it in spite of him. The uh, Our friend Ryan Mead from uh, Blue Shirts Breakaway was talking to him about this, and it's essentially not a surprise that Lafreniere's, you know, hashtag actually good yeah shocker it's another one of those players where you don't know what the team is doing to cause this like very obviously something is off i can i can believe one of lafreniere or Kako maybe not living up to their potential but both of them is weird that is weird especially when they're like high 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 ceiling yeah level players but um it looks like whatever he's been doing has been coming through some probably some more power play time will benefit him some Absolutely. more yeah but anyways the rangers we're, we're sitting here waxing poetic about the rangers it was they were just coming out at them strong and fast for did the red wings sit back and try and protect a lead late into a game absolutely old habits die hard if you look at the uh the expected goals for chart if you look at like where the game went whatever metric you want to look at Corsi, just by watching the game the Rangers were playing like they were a better team that should have been beating Detroit and were just shooting everything. So there was a couple unfortunate goals. One went off more at Sider's skate in a way where he was kind of halfway down where he's going to yeah. learn to probably align his body in a different way to make sure that kind of crap doesn't happen again. But all in all. Listen, we're coming off of like 11-2 loss. This feels almost like a win, even though it's not. It's sad to say. It really is sad to say. It's like I just sat here and said the Red Wings got dominated for two periods, and a lot of their goals were probably more due to soft goaltending than anything else. And yeah, it feels like a net positive. And you need those soft goals. Like when you have zero confidence and you need to stop a losing streak, take the goals however they can come. Yeah. So let's look at the positives. First of all, I think on a national stage, TNT game, um, Moritz Sider was mostly fantastic, like just outstanding, shone through. Where I'm seeing a little bit with Mo Sider, where it's like, yeah, he's playing an absolute boatload of minutes, and on games where they just get, you know, dominated for any period of time, he's going to be exposed. He's a rookie defenseman. How many minutes he played? Then he'll be like plus one. Yeah, his uh, he was a plus one last night. Yeah. So he played nearly 24 minutes and. There were so many times – there was one shift where he was out for 90 seconds and stripped Kreider of the puck, made a smart, clean pass to break out of the zone. His teammates couldn't get the puck in deep. Shocker. They passed the puck back to him when he had two guys on him, made a, a couple quick adjustments with the puck on his stick, and passed tape to tape again to get it deep in the zone at a, on a second try. And it's, it's plays like that. Like Mo Sider got two assists, but that's not even how he stood out the most to me. And on his two assists, it was like yeah. working the blue line, you know, using his feet, using his stick. Stuff 20-year-olds should not be able to do. <laughs> Walk, yeah, just walking a blue line in a way where it's not even 20-year-olds. Like, we haven't seen Red Wings defensemen do this. and Not on purpose. They were talking about it on the TNT panel, and everyone but Biz was like, it's Cider. Like, Cider goes and won in a redraft. He's obviously the Calder candidate, or he's the Calder favorite right now. Listen. Get- I don't need to get back into this conversation <laughs> so early into the episode. I've said my piece. We we meet at dawn. 
So, I mean, was it a good loss to have? No, objectively, no. But Verona got on the board. Sider got two assists. Raymond got his, Raymond got his 50th point yep. in his rookie campaign. Bertuzzi ripped one. There was, I think, what was probably a missed penalty call on Larkin in overtime where Fox... What? Yeah. Refs? Yeah, I know. Good thing. That's why Brad's oh. not here. He, he didn't want to be able to... It's uh, like, I can't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> you guys take it. So the Red Wings uh, tumble further into the losses, I suppose, but they still pulled a point off. Uh, their next two upcoming games are a home and home against Ottawa in Detroit on Friday night at 7:30 Eastern and in Ottawa at one Eastern on Sunday after which you'll hear our next episode. Um, that's a big opportunity where if Detroit wants to rebound, not that Ottawa is a cakewalk, but they're certainly not the Rangers or Boston or Pittsburgh. No, you finally get some reprieve from playing the good teams other than, I mean, the last time they played a bad team like Arizona, that didn't work out well, but let's hope that's not a trend. Yeah, that was... That was different. That one's going to haunt me for years. Okay. That's what the Red Wings have. Um, I want to get to a report that came from Frank Saravalli, and it, it was on the DFO rundown. And he mentioned that there was, uh, he had heard that there was consider- considerable friction between Blashill and some of the younger players. And I want to, I want to also add the context that he thinks Blashill stays in the offseason. Like he doesn't think he goes. So this wasn't part of some like, Hit piece. Yeah, blockbuster report that Blashill is definitely gone and he's lost the room absolutely. But I wanted to talk about it. And my first impression on this is this is an agent thing. Like this isn't this isn't Mo Sider and Lucas Raymond. It just doesn't add up that way. And you have to understand a little bit about how information gets out in the NHL. The NHL is the most boring league in the world when it comes to inside access, actual information, actual leaks. So a lot of the times when you see stuff, it is someone is pushing something or someone is leaking something in benefit of their client. So often agents. It's not necessarily a lie. How many times do we hear players have contracts ready to go in the KHL and they end up always in the NHL? Yeah, that's the Dan Milstein special. Always. like, Yeah, this... I don't really know what to think of this other than that would be a concern if I like if I take it at face value that is a concern but I mean there should be friction right like the team stinks right now nobody nobody wants to come to work when they when you stink like this everyone's trying to find a solution to to right the ship and and turn things around like yeah there should be friction if the Red Wings are on a 10 game winning streak in this this came out i would definitely have a a different opinion on what this really means i uh i'd be concerned if they were like yeah no friction the room's going great i'm like then why are you guys losing 11 (laughs) too yeah like when things suck at your job nobody likes going to work and nobody wants to talk politely to their coworkers, right like yeah so really i just to me it just seems like Bad team has bad is having a bad time. And you also have to think like what young players who aren't getting a ton of minutes and you can count. Like more Siders playing 12 minutes a game and they're losing. No, it's not coming from the Sider. It's not Raymond who's been on the first line since he came into the NHL. Like this is probably a Zadina thing. And it's probably a Zadina's like. Then do something. 
Well, I, I'm sitting here saying I don't know. I don't know necessarily how big to amplify this. Whether yeah. there's like an actual fight in the room, or like we said, this is a little bit of a a ploy to get his his playing time up, or whatever it might be. But I mean, you also make a fair point there. I mean, you don't like it. You don't. You're not on the power play. Well, then go do something about it. Like, if that is in case, a very hypothetical situation there, because we have no context to this at all, other than a very general statement things like this you know they always get picked up and i say that not losing the irony that we are literally picking it up right now (laughs) uh they always get picked up and sometimes i don't know that the intended uh reaction is as big as it becomes but when you have a team that is just like as red hot in the worst way right now like the red wings like everyone is completely on edge everything is going to be amplified to a million and it's really hard to kind of suss out what's actually significant and what's just noise yeah that's why i don't i didn't really think a whole lot about this because i kind of just said yeah that makes sense i would hate being in (laughs) i mean i would love being in the red wings locker room right now but i would if i would hate being in there as someone who hates losing yeah well I mean, we're we're going to talk about this with Dimitri. It, it takes its toll. It takes a toll on the team, and it's important that look you at Connor go. McDavid. He's the youngest, or he's the oldest looking twenty five year old I've ever seen. That man has been sad from the moment he was drafted by the Oilers. He looks like a sigh. <laughs> he looks like he. I, believe it or not, that picture of Ben Affleck smoking out front is actually just Connor McDavid. It is. You wouldn't know. Seriously. It. So I don't know. I maybe Brad would have <laughs> Brad would definitely have a, a deeper take than this, I would think, but I don't really think much of it. When stuff sucks at work, yeah, I hate everyone. <laughs> like it, it just is what it is, right? That's <laughs> what it boils down to. Okay, well, let's get into some more uh substantial talk about the individual players who are worth talking about on the Red Wings and the team's performance. But before we do that, I do want to mention uh, that this episode of the Winged Wheel podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, a sponsor that gives hockey fans what we really need, even more excitement in the game. There's so many reasons why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook. They're simple to use with great odds on different betting markets, giving you more action every game day. And it's tons of fun with unique bet types like same game parlay and exclusive promotions on the biggest events. And when you win, you get your winnings back safely to you in as little as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back in site credit if you don't win that first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get the $1,000 back in site credit. What we want you to do is download the FanDuel Sportsbook app today to get started with that risk-free bet and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook, promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right, let's jump into our uh, interview with Dmitry Filipovich of the Hockey PDO cast. Hope you enjoy that conversation, and we'll see you on the other side. Dmitry Filipovich, it's uh, 
your bat signal is Jacob Verona scoring goals, and he's been doing quite a bit of that recently. So it was only a matter of time before we had you back on the podcast. How's it going, man? Yeah, I should have picked a bat signal that uh, that lights up less frequently. But uh, but yeah, it's 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 good to be back. This is my second appearance on the show. Um, I had you on earlier this season, so obviously I had to return the favor. So uh, right. yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, and you actually have the privilege. I just realized now. That you know, we were in the the you know green room, so to speak, talking before. But have you met Evan before? No, I don't think I have. No, I think what Very was on f- with you last time was it was it me, you, and Brad? Yeah, that makes sense. That's, yeah, yeah, that makes yeah, a lot. That, of that sense. guy was weird. <laughs> yeah, we got rid of him. <laughs> Good. Very few people get to meet Evan, and you're legally not allowed to uh, tell anyone about this encounter either. Cool. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dmitry Filipovich of the PDO cast and his excellent work on EP Rinkside here to talk to us today about some hot topics on the Red Wings that he has genuinely been curious about. I think 90% of my messages from Dmitry are about like Red Wing specific players. So why don't we start with what we mentioned, the return of Jacob Rana and him, you know, not missing a beat. What has that been for you as uh, someone who's followed for Verona for quite a while? Well, we were we were talking about this, I guess, at the start of the season. I was wildly disappointed when uh, the news of his shoulder surgery came out because I'd I'd been planning this whole I do like an annual, uh, not necessarily breakouts, but like players I'm excited to watch this season piece where I just like go deep on random players that no one else is writing about. And I had like Jacob Rana was gonna be my poster boy this season, and then obviously finding out that we'd have to wait a while for him to make his debut was was highly disappointing. But yeah, I mean. The thing that I love about him is you know exactly what you're going to get. Like certainly um, not the perfect player by any means, but just when you think of a scoring winger that is just going to, especially at five on five, like his consistency and being able to just do this one thing that is really hard to do in the NHL over and over again is such a valuable skill and, and, and such a fun thing to watch. So yeah, I mean, I, I'm weirdly interested in this Red Wings team. I feel like from, from a national perspective, like obviously Cider is getting a lot of hype and Raymond as well, but I find myself just watching a lot of these games for whatever reason. And so just having him back in the mix has obviously made it, made it a more rewarding experience. I think one thing that we, you know, we missed out on in almost an entire season of Jacob Verona. So that speaks for itself. But one thing that we really missed is a, an extended look as to what line combinations really, um, promote the best of his play style that really bring out the best of Jacob Rana's insane toolkit. And we've been having these conversations really recently, and I want to get your perspective. Is he a kind of, he lifts all players around him player, or does he thrive most with certain play t- uh, player types or even skill levels? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think he's going to score ultimately regardless of who he shares the ice with. But I, I think certainly if you're kind of trying to map out the perfect blueprint for like who you want to be around him to sort of, I guess, optimize the Jacob Brown experience. I, I, I'd want players that can basically help deliver the puck to him, right? Whether it is like winning, winning board battles and being able to establish positions so that they have more chances for shots or a player like, let's say like a Dylan Larkin, for example, who can kind of carry the puck up the ice. So, uh, so seamlessly, like that's the kind of type player that I'd want to genuinely, generally surround Jacob Brown with because just get him in the offensive zone and get him shot opportunities. That's all I'm looking for. And so whoever can kind of facilitate that the best um, is what I'd be what I'd be trying to do. But obviously, you know, especially with the injury and Raymond coming in to start the year and 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 coming in so hot and and delivering on that chemistry with uh, with Larkin, I'm not sure we're going to necessarily see that moving forward. So I, I don't know. What what do you think is sort of the best 
utilization of him in terms of especially the center that you want playing with him. It's hard, right? We saw what he did with Dylan Larkin last year and the list of centers going down the list. You have Pew Suter who's holding his own, but isn't necessarily, you know, an offensive dynamo, creates plays out of nowhere. You have Joe Valeno who's getting up to speed and doing really well by his own right. But I think giving him the kind of minutes that you would want a Verona line to get might be asking for trouble at this point. He might get mm-hmm. there soon enough. There's just not a real true 2C on the Red Wings right now. So my question was a, a thinly veiled, does he have to be with Larkin or can we put him with whoever has the misfortune of being the Red Wings second line center that game? Yeah. Well, I'm curious. Like, Do you think we're going to see just them go go dots and load up Larkin, Raymond, and Vanna on the same line? Like I'd be kind of interested in seeing that. Obviously, I think the way they the current personnel they have, they probably want to spread it out a little bit and try to get more scoring throughout the lineup, and not necessarily just have like I guess arguably your three best scorers on one line. Um, but that's something that I'd be interested in seeing. I, I mean, what these final ten to fifteen games they have, like this is kind of it's obviously a lost season. So at this point, you may as well kind of experiment and see what you have and try to figure out what the best combinations are heading into next season. Yeah. It's just that Jeff Blaschel, you you hit the nail on the head. He wants to, he generally wants to spread that talent. And like criticisms of him aside, you have Larkin and Raymond. And for Raymond's sake as a rookie, he's been phenomenal. But you don't want to put, like, leave the guy out in the lurch. So you want to leave those two together. Um, You have Bertuzzi, who they've moved down to the second line for a good chunk of time. He's just back up recently. And you have Verona, who, like you said, he's going to score no matter what. So... I don't want to say we're never going to see Verona with Larkin and Raymond. I just think that there there's going to be quite a bit of resistance before maybe Jeff Blaschel gets to that point because I mean look at the games where the Red Wings get thumped. They get caved on defense because obviously, uh, but also they don't really have anything to speak for beyond their second line, especially in a game where you know Bertuzzi can't play and Fabry's out for the year now and and whatever it might be, their second, third, fourth lines just can't compete with the Cup contending teams. So. We well, might also, see it. I just wouldn't expect an extended look. Also, I guess it would it would require Jeff Blashell to really get creative and, and 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 hop into the lab and experiment with stuff. And I don't think anyone necessarily feels very confident in that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess not to steal uh, steal your job here. I'm so used to hosting podcasts, but I know you also wanted to talk a little bit about kind of what the offseason plan is for this organization, Steve Eiserman, and sort of what they should be trying to accomplish. And that's kind of the question that I keep coming back to here. I was thinking about it, honestly, more so from the perspective of finding uh, Mo Sider, like a, a, a regular competent defensive partner so that he's not having to do absolutely everything when he's out there. Um, but I guess it applies as well to that second line center position and kind of trying to figure out who you're going to play with guys like Rana in the sense that I don't think anyone's thinking that this Red Wings team is going to be all of a sudden competitive and be in the playoff mix and competing for a Stanley Cup as soon as next season. but if I was Steve Eiserman, I, I would kind of feel a little bit of an obligation to throw my top players a bone and give them a better supporting cast of players that can actually play those minutes with them and not just expect them to do everything themselves. So yeah, whether it is a, a top top pair defenseman or whether it's a second line center, that's something obviously I think you'd prefer it to be a younger player that would kind of fit along with the general timeline of the team, but that's something that that they really need to figure out. It's going to be an interesting offseason for that reason, right? Like the Red Wings, the past 
three, four months have really driven home the fact that they're not close to being a contending team. So Eisman has a decision now. You have Dylan Larkin, Tyler Bertuzzi, Jacob Verena coming up towards either the end of contracts or the end of like prime producing years. And you really want to maximize that window. So it's not a one size fits all solution for all those kinds of players in that age group. But do you capitalize on that now and load up and try to, you know, compete with them and then Cider, Raymond, Edvinson in the future, uh, maybe as early as next year as your core? Or, you know, do you ship a Bertuzzi out? Do you ship a Verona out for parts? Well, even, I'm really even, torn. Even I'd add Hronik to that as well, right? Kind yeah. It's like yeah. there are these guys that are in a bit of an awkward position in terms of their age i I don't want to what's larkin's 25 right now or turning 26 i don't want to make him out to be an old man obviously he's a great player and he's still in the prime of his career but yeah by the time he expires he's going to be a a 27 year old ufa after next season or whatever and and you do wonder like is the right time to capitalize on that now or what what's that going to look like three years from now is he in this team's or this organization's future plans and how firmly is he cemented in that? Like it was, it was really fascinating. I'm not sure how much of it is posturing and, and how much of it is actually real. I imagine a lot of these insiders don't actually have, you know, direct lines to Steve Eiserman and his actual genuine thoughts. But yeah, it, it seemed like all deadline. Everyone was like, all right, you're talking cider and Raymond are basically like the only untouchables. And it was very interesting that Larkin wasn't really lumped in with them. And you'd think that for, yeah. Uh, a 25-year-old team captain right now that is a really, really good player, he would be considered an untouchable, but he wasn't. And I'm wondering how much of that was real and how much of that was just kind of like throwing out flyers out there to see if anyone potentially just made them an offer they couldn't refuse. I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle, right? You're, you're not wrong that very few people have a direct line to Steve Eisman. I think that that list is like Chris Draper, Nicholas Lidstrom, end of list, right? And, and us, of course. But... I would imagine that the captaincy and the fact that Larkin is a, you know, a first line center, those are the two things that move him pretty as close as you can get to the true untouchable list as you can be. That said, like, I think Eisman operates within a logical realm of, well, I'm not going to say no if you're going to offer me something absolutely outrageous overpay, which a team might ostensibly do for a Dylan Larkin type. I would, I would imagine it was Raymond Sider and in all practicality Larkin because no one was going to meet that price um the, the like the easy answer people get to they think about Shane Wright or more importantly they think about Bedard and Michkov in this upcoming 2023 draft and they're like look how far away we are and, and look at the age of Bertuzzi and his back surgery and look at the age of Larkin and look at the age of these guys and it would be to kind of sell and move the entire team down to Sider and Raymond's age group as the core but the thing is this rebuild has already gone so long losing hurts a player's development and we've seen that on the red wings and eisman hates losing hates losing like this is painful so i don't know that he could commit to a full you know teardown or even like a partial teardown again where they're adding years to the rebuild and you're to your point earlier you need to bring in competent guys to play with with raymond and insider and i think raymond has that with cider they're probably going to look to bring in like an ian cole type i imagine someone who can you know more capably log those minutes than you know what they've asked danny to kaiser to do to do the poor guy and jordan osterley who's done all you could ever practically expect of jordan osterley but he should be a number seven d man on any other team so 
it's I think there's going to be, you know, a little bit of give and take in that direction. And I also think it's going to be extremely interesting which way Eisman commits here because there's there's great arguments for and against both. That's the ultimate fence sitting answer, but it's all I can land on. See, see, ultimately, I just hearing you talk, I I would go the other way then. Like if you really hate losing this much and, and you want to have something to show for like like these players are obviously young and their best years are ahead of them, but we've seen already that Cider and Raymond are really good right now. You don't it reminds me of like when Matthews and Marner were still in their ELCs for the for the Leafs and they kind of did a half measure. They like spent all of their available cap space on Patrick Marlowe and Ron Hainsey that offseason and it was like I get it, you want to bring in veterans to kind of show them the ropes and you know kind of ease them along. But having star players on ELCs while you have them is an incredibly valuable luxury. And, and not that this Red Wings team is up against the cap, obviously, by any means anytime soon. But why not go crazy and maybe make an offer to, to the Coyotes for Jacob Chikrin and actually get ambitious with adding a young defenseman who can come in right now and maybe carry his own pair or maybe be on Sider's left side um, as, as soon as next season. Like That's something that I keep coming back to as an interesting option. I'm not sure if they can justify moving the future capital uh, that it would probably require to take, but that's the type of player that is still young enough, but is good and fits an obvious need for them. And I'm much more intrigued by that than bringing in Ian Cole or whoever and being like, all right, well, this guy won't suck. Like, let's try to be actually good then. So is that what you would do? Like, ignore what I told you about, you know, how long the rebuild has gone or whatever. Just blank slate looking at the roster as it is right now. What would you do coming in this offseason? I mean, I think I would honestly, it's obviously easier said than done for me from the outside. I would be pretty aggressive in terms of trying to add players that can help right now. Not necessarily just giving away future lottery picks for trying to compete for a playoff spot next season. But like these guys are so good right now. And and you're right. Like you don't want to uh, establish like a, a soul crushing work environment for these young players where they're coming to the rink and are like, Oh, are we going to give up another double digit goals tonight? Like that, that sucks. Like that's not a great spot to be in for any player, especially a young player. And so I, I would strongly consider just going aggressive, whether it's, Jacob Chikrin. Um, I'd honestly consider Alex the Brinkat from uh from the Blackhawks in terms of just thinking of like a guy who's still in his kind of early to mid twenties that's really good and theoretically available. I know he's a winger, so he doesn't answer that second line center spot, obviously, but I'd I'd kind of see what's out there. Like and they have Steve Eiserman. So if anyone is gonna be good at kind of sniffing that out and pulling off one of these big trades out of the blue, it's gonna be him. So uh yeah, that's kind of what I'd I would do. I don't know. All right. Well, yeah, I think this, the, like we mentioned, this offseason is going to illuminate, it's going to illuminate a lot of what Eisman's plans are. But talking about the guys who are playing well right now, the ascension of Mo Sider, and, you know, we've talked about this this year. I, I mentioned it on your show, and it already seems outdated with how much better he is night overnight. And I know you've been watching him more and more and more. How has your perspective on him changed since he was drafted, and, and where? Where do you think his ultimate ceiling is? Like, what level do you see this guy reaching? I mean, he's a stud. Like, there's no no two ways about it. I actually, uh, I was telling you about it. I I rarely leave my place these days, and especially, I rarely go to games just because on a given night, there's I, I'm a national writer, so I cover the full league, and I generally am flipping between like eight games at once. So I, I can't justify just committing a full evening to just going to watch the Canucks play whoever else because I live here in Vancouver. Um, 
But when the Red Wings came to town, I was like, all right, I got to go see Mo Sider. I got to see what this is all about in live and in person. And and he delivered not just the, the, the poise that he plays with, but the physicality was so impressive to me. Like there was this one play. I'm not even sure that it got captured by the cameras because I never went back and watched the TV feed. But Alex Chasson like tried to hit him along the boards. And it wasn't one of those like classic reverse hits because Chasson didn't necessarily fall and it didn't wind up being a highlight. But I was just watching after Chasson delivered that hit. Like he was staggered to the point where he was kind of struggling to get back to the bench because you could tell that he had kind of been winded just running into Mo Sider. And and that's something that you rarely ever say about a 20-year-old rookie, basically, that just comes into the league and all, is immediately bullying grown men. And that's kind of what we've seen. So to go along with all of the actual sort of skill stuff and the poise around the blue line and everything, just that kind of functional physicality of his from dislodging the puck from players and then kind of protecting himself in that capacity has been kind of most impressive to me. Speaking of grown men, um, maybe you can sell me on, uh, <laughs> Ryan, <laughs> maybe you can sell me on why Toronto fans think Michael Bunting is uh, the Calder winner this year. Cause he plays for the Leafs. I don't, I don't, I, <laughs> hey, I'm just trying to trying to rationalize and understand why this, why we might have to fight the Steve Dangle podcast. Uh, I mean, he's having a he's having a very impactful season. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, yeah, for me, it's Cider and then everyone else in terms of this Calder class. Like because I think you do need to account for a degree of difficulty. Like coming in as a 20 year old defender and having to play all these tough minutes and doing so with Danny DeKaiser as your most regular partner. Like that's really tough to do. And for him to be a net positive at five on five, I think the Red Wings still have a positive goal differential with Cider on the ice is truly remarkable to me. So like in terms of everything I've seen from the eye test to actual statistical performance, I think Cider is unequivocally the best rookie this season. Any other rookies that have stood out to you so far outside of Bunting, Raymond and uh, Cider? I mean, this is a testament to how good Cider has been that it's actually a pretty loaded rookie class. Like I, I'm, I've been impressed with a ton of guys, right? Like Seth Jarvis has been awesome. Dawson Mercer for the devils has been awesome. Trevor Zegers, obviously Ryan, when, when, you and I did a podcast with Max on on my show. Like Max was doing a weird Trevor Zegers take where he was like, he was like kind of like negging Mo Sider, and he was like, "No, I actually think you know if you look at the uh, expected goal share of Trevor Zegers, I think he might be the best rookie this season." And obviously, a lot of time has passed since then. But that was I. I listened back to that show recently, and I was like, "What was Max doing here? Like, what a weird, what a weird take." You know what, Red Wings fandom. <sighs> Everyone obviously has recognized immediately the impact Raymond was making and then Cider like blew past everything. And then Zegris was getting all the highlights at the same time. So I think Red Wings fandom was being very loud. Not just that Cider deserved it more than Zegris, but it was a lot of like uh, diminishing what Zegris was doing, which is silly because Zegris was has was and has been phenomenal um and i think max is just trying to give that a little bit more credit than what you would have seen in detroit circles um especially i think at that point there might have been a case a little bit more of a case for zegris but it, it, again yeah i think it's quickly outdated now i think he was also being trying to be a an unbiased journalist right i imagine if you're if you're covering a team like as closely as Max does with your full-time job, like you, you see them the most, right? So I think you probably feel like, oh, I might be kind of biased and I, I want to take a bigger picture of you of things. But yeah, you're right. I think the totality of what Sider's done, like obviously there's been moments where he gives the puck away or whatever or makes a mistake. Like he's certainly not infallible. But I think just the accumulation of what he started with this season and then how he's carried it 
so consistently throughout the entire year has just been so impressive to me. And I think it's kind of unparalleled. And 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 that's saying that in a in a loaded rookie class. Yeah, we were actually talking about that not too long ago about how stacked of a year it is for rookies. Like there's even guys you didn't mention, like Matthew Boldy's having an unreal year yeah. as well. Anton and, Lundell. Anton yeah. Lundell was going to be the other guy I mentioned. Like the NHL is in a great spot to to pass the baton on to the to the youth um, moving forward. Like these guys are hu- having huge impacts on all of their teams, and it's I, I really can't remember a rookie class where I thought that there was eight to ten guys who've had incredible seasons. Yeah, I'd had Tanner Janowin in there. Um, yeah. You know, Cole Caulfield might have scored like 40 goals a season if his coach wasn't actively <laughs> trying to like just criminally not let him do what he does best for the first two thirds of the season. So there's that as well. Yeah, it's, it's, you could legitimately name 10 guys who I feel pretty confident are going to be really good players moving forward. And there's some years where it's like, all right, I guess this guy was kind of good, but you don't actually have any faith in him. And, and this year is just not that at all. So. We're pretty in the weeds. Believe it or not, we're pretty in the weeds in the Red Wings. And the what? Jeff Blashill, yeah. The Jeff Blashill saga has been going on for quite some time. And I think after the first 10 goal game against, there was quite a few questions about what this team is doing. And then there was like the nine, whatever, thumping by the Arizona Coyotes. And it was like, how does this happen twice? Like it, a team can be bad, but not. Like a nine goals against the Coyotes bad. And then of course there was the eleven two from Pittsburgh. And we had a we had a pretty honest discussion after two of those, but especially after the Pittsburgh game, where we said, regardless of whether or not you think it's Jeff Blashill's fault, if a team is coming out and losing to the tune of eleven, nine, ten, eleven goals, and I think actually you tweeted the Red Wings have given up every integer of goals from one to eleven so far. Let's make it 12. Think, Why not? No, hey, zero as well. They've done, they had a, at least had a one shout out, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. Against the Canucks, actually, the game I was at. Yeah. So, regardless of that, is a coaching change needed? And I want to get your take on it. Oh, my God. I mean, what year is this? Are we still having this conversation in 2022 with Jeff Blashill? I, I understand the, the logic of if you're Steve Eisenman, I mean, you probably just like, like Jeff Blashill or whatever, but also you, you're, you're viewing it from the lens of we're not going to be good right now. We're not going to be competitive. It doesn't really make sense to bring someone else in here that's kind of like a bridge. Like, let, let's wait to see this through. And then when we're ready to be legitimately competitive, we'll probably bring, bring in an actual NHL coach. Uh, at the same time, it kind of ties into what we were saying about that kind of soul-crushing environment and establishing a, a, a playing style that doesn't embarrass you and and what's been happening lately is anything but that and it's just so mind-blowing to me that jeff blashell's the second longest tenured in the tenured coach in the nhl right now just uh with only john cooper having been with his team longer like if you look at the list of coaches who have been with their current teams and it's like i think there's eight guys total that have been with them since the 2018-19 season or something like that or before and uh and jeff blashell is obviously on that and the rest are all guys who have either won the Stanley Cup title with their team or have won coach of the year and then you just have Jeff Blashill there. It, it it's it's so weird to me. I don't know. Like I, I imagine this conversation is probably a bit tired for you at this point because it's it, there's nothing really new to add to it. But we have I, ima- conversation I, am- I imagine it's gonna episode. be over, right? It's gonna be over after this offseason. Like there's no way he's gonna be their coach next year. I always try to relate things that happen 
in the NHL and with the Red Wings to my own job because I don't really under can't really relate to an NHL locker room in an organization. And the one thing I always think about when we talk about Jeff Blaschel is people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. They leave their boss. And Jeff Blaschel must be liked by everybody because it, it does boggle my mind with the lack of success and the lack of progression, <clears throat> how long he's remained as the head coach. I think what he's done with, with Nadevkovic this season is is so wild to me I, i'm not sure if he even wants me bringing this up but whatever it, it's just a couple of buddies talking right now um my pal kevin woodley who also lives here in vancouver and and, and is kind of my favorite go-to source for for analysis of goalies i was talking to him at one of these games that i went to and, and he was just like I, I can't believe what they've done in terms of the yo-yoing of like these games where he starts he gives up a handful of goals they take him out i guess as kind of like a mercy pull and then Grace comes in and gives up a couple and they're like, all right, let's throw Ned back in there. And just like what that does with the psyche of a goalie and the fact that they've done that multiple times this season, it's like Jeff Blashill's only strategy is let's switch goalies. I I, I, I don't, it, it makes no sense to me. Like at, at some point I understand if you give up five, six goals, it's like, all right, we, you know, we're going to just take him out there just because this is embarrassing. Then don't bring him back in. Like, just give him the rest of the night off. Like, I don't understand what they're trying to accomplish with that, but I can't imagine it's done him any favors. Not that he's been great by any means, but it's a pretty crappy situ- situation and environment for a guy like Ned to be in after being in such a good one in Carolina last season. Yeah. And I mean, it was no surprise to anyone that he's kind of fallen, Ned's kind of fallen off in the later half of the season because he's only played less than 40 games in the NHL prior to this. So it seemed like a no brainer to most people to really hammer the, the load management this year on him. And it just kind of feels like there was none of that, to be honest. I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah. I think a lot of this is going to be a product of Ned had to come in and play more games than he has in his entire and in a season in his entire life behind one of the sorriest defenses he'll ever have the misfortune of playing behind. So that was always going to like, there's going to be some attrition that we were going to see there and his numbers were going to decline, of course. But yeah, the double pulls, the yank, and then being put in to start the very next night. I don't know some that might work for some goalies, but I feel like for a goalie who's very clearly struggling with confidence, that wasn't always the best move. Grice, we saw a little bit of a run of form last year where he could offer support when the other goalie was faltering when, you know, Bernie was injured or maybe if he had a, a rare cold streak. Uh, but we haven't seen that from Grice this year. He's been, you know, decidedly below average. He just hasn't been set up for success across the board. Yeah, do we need to do we need to revisit like the past two MVP voting cycles and just give them retroactively to Jonathan Bernier for the two years that he managed to have? Like he just, did not get talked about enough because yeah. the stuff he did behind that Red Wings teams was very much deserving of more MVP and Vesna, <laughs> even fifth place votes. It's funny because hearing you say, Dimitri, that like there's no way they come out of this offseason with Jeff Blaschel still as the head coach. Two months ago, I would have laughed and said, I mean, ambitious, but I think they're sticking with him. A 9, a 10, and an 11 goal game against. All three losses, of course. Oh, there's still I games think, left. Let's get the. <laughs> I th- I think the tides are shifting, and again, like you can only do so much when you have 
Jordan Osterley playing 22 minutes a night, and that is not your biggest problem, of course. But there is nobody on this team in this organization who can pretend that those games are excusable. Did you see that clip of, I think it was the Arizona game where they were getting tuned up, and they iso-cammed Eisman in the uh, in the box, and he was just like, you you would never be able to draw any kind of conclusion just from like a soundless clip of someone, but you could see him seething with anger. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is significant. Like, Eisman's not okay with this. Yeah, I think if you, if you follow the NHL long enough, you can kind of see the difference in the on-ice product between like, all right, these players are just ill-equipped to to compete because they're, they just don't have enough talent. And wow, the the effort or the execution here is just not nearly good enough. Like players are just in the wrong position or just actively not covering people in high danger areas. And it's like, you don't need to be a good defender to literally stand in a certain place. And these guys are just constantly not doing that. And so at some point it does become a coaching thing where you're right. Like, it's like, all right, it's one thing to be bad. It's another thing to be so embarrassing that everyone is just like disgusted at what's happening. And yeah, I think we're, we're reaching that point, but you're right. I would have said that if we did this podcast at the end of the 2019 season and then last year and and so on and so forth. So maybe again, next season, we'll be having this conversation again. Oh God, <laughs> please. No. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I think what we're due for Dimitri is a revisit. Maybe let's say after the free agency, because I think uh, there's a lot of interesting questions that have been posed here, but uh, for now, let's wrap this up. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, Dimitri Filipovich of the PDO cast and EP ringside, good friend of ours, um dimitri thanks for joining us on the show and until next time anytime pals all right welcome back that was our conversation with dimitri filipovich uh hope you enjoyed and uh yeah that'll be a fun one to revisit in the off season especially when we get to some of those decisions that we said eisman will likely have to make although i mean we're speaking so confidently we have no idea no eisman's gonna go in a completely sideways direction from what everyone else thinks is likely to happen so we make plans. I just meant laughs. He's going to offer sheet Matthew Kachuk. Yeah, something ridiculous. Isn't Matthew Kachuk signed? I have no idea. He'll still do it. <laughs> Why not? One thing that we wanted to mention, and we want to give a little bit more airtime, so uh, uh, a lot, another Red Wings topic here on the other side of the interview. Ben Myers is a uh, NCAA player. He's 23 years old, um, plays for the – captain of minnesota yeah plays for the university of minnesota he's the captain and uh he's had himself one hell of a season played for team usa at the olympics um his production has been really great i think this season he's got 41 points in 33 games it looks like he's added some weight to his frame he's still a really quick skater uh, he has a really good shot quick release and plays down the middle and Elliot Friedman said it's Detroit and Minnesota who are the front runners to sign him out of college. Yeah. So he's got a frozen four coming up that he has to play out first before he'll make any decision, of course. Um, but if it's coming from Fried, you know it's legit. So it's, yeah, Minnesota and Detroit are the front runners. I think Philly is also in there, but not considered a front runner. You never know how these things change. No. Um, there's something to be said for an NCAA player coming into the NHL and coming to a team that needs help. Cause that means they get to play. They get playing time immediately, mm-hmm. which is, 
probably very key for someone who's 23, 24, because it's time to maximize your earnings in the NHL. And playing on an NHL contract is much more lucrative than playing on an AHL uh, contract. So uh, he's from Minnesota. He's the captain of the University of Minnesota. And the team that's one of the front runners is the Minnesota Wild. So if it's a purely about passion, then it, it it's a no-brainer to me. But if you want to play in the NHL and get there immediately, then um, that's the way to go. Because I think oh, Minnesota's got a prospect on their AHL team who's who's a center who's probably ahead of him on the depth chart. Marco Rossi. That's the one I could not yeah, think yeah. of. <clears throat> Um, so the road to the NHL through Minnesota is a lot longer, not to say he can't move over to the wing and, and move up that way because things happen, especially with Minnesota with their cap crunch without the dead cap that's coming up the next few years. So there might be an avenue there that's, uh, that I've not explored, but if he wants to play in the NHL immediately and be somewhere in the middle six, probably third line, most likely fourth. The Red Wings are a no-brainer, and they've got infinite money. They can make it work with bonuses, all that fun stuff. Um, that's really the the strength of the Detroit offer, I would think, at this point. And when Steve Eiserman calls you, yeah. and you're you're from Minnesota, you hockey is in your blood. You know exactly who Steve Eiserman is. Yeah, it, it's a. I mean, when Bill Guerin comes calling too as an American, that's that's probably pretty big as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that that's that's not nothing. And you know what? Like you talk about. Okay, you have Larkin, who's your first line center. Suter, Valeno will probably switch between second and third line center, especially as Valeno gets better. You need center depth. You need center depth. And look, the Red Wings need consistent center depth. And like you said, he might switch back to the left wing. But if he's a guy who can play in space of injury higher up the lineup, or maybe he comes in and he's, you know, he rocks it. People are saying this guy can seriously play. He's got some, he's got a good scoring touch, especially around the net. And he's not afraid to mix it up, which is always nice to have. And um, I think one of the biggest strengths about his game, just watching some of the highlights, is he's ultra competitive. He's not the the biggest guy of all time. He's taller than Brad by a foot and a half, but he's th- he's thick. Like he's he's got a lot of weight on him in a, in a good way, and he'll he'll go in the corners and and do the hard work. Like uh, he's right up Iserman's alley in terms of players. With me, um, I it's hard to beat the Minnesota. Like hometown, it's such a strong connection. But you're you're completely right when you talk about opportunity. There's no slow ramp into showing yourself off, which means your next contract is likely to be bigger because you've actually played. Because more playing time begets better production, begets better you know development, and it's a it's a cycle. Let's 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 frame it like this for like your own personal. Let's say you were the captain of oh god. Of the Windsor University hockey team and Detroit's always been your team, blah, blah, blah. But the Detroit Red Wings are headed to the playoffs. They're absolutely stacked. Like, so you're like, oh, would you take Detroit or a team, let's say Minnesota in this example? Still a great hockey town, um, but you'd be able to play on their team immediately. What, what would be your thought process? 
it's hard for me not to say Detroit. Right? Because you, you've you got, like for me, like I don't live near Detroit, so it's really tough for me to create that scenario. Um, yeah, it's tough, right? Like it's it's a... The hometown thing is different. It's totally different. And it's a it's a huge thing. But just because you sign with Minnesota Wild doesn't mean you're, you'll end up playing for them. Let's see what happens, right? If this is a non-story, then that's fine. But uh, it's it's interesting to see the Red Wings in a mix in the mix for a significant college free agent again, and um, to peel one away could could do a lot by way of you know making this team more serviceable next year. You're not playing, we're not, and it's not like they're going out and just picking up a guy who's played on maybe a mid-ranked college team who can just fill a spot. Like I think Minnesota was one of the top teams in the country this year, and he was the captain of that team. Like. This guy brings a lot on ice and off ice. Will he be a 50-goal scorer? Absolutely not. Um, But you need the depth, and the Red Wings have no center depth whatsoever at this point. So it it makes too much sense to go hard after after this guy. Well, let's see how the Frozen Four shakes out and what comes next. I think it starts this weekend. No, next weekend. I think it starts next weekend, Hmm. I think. Also, uh, I I tripped you up on Matthew Kachuk. You're right; he is expiring as an RFA. I think it was Brady who Brady who just signed. Brady this who year? just signed, yeah. yeah. And that's because he, he held out and then he joined late, and yeah. And Matthew so. Kachuk will do the same thing if the offers from Calgary isn't in the ballpark. Keith runs a tight ship, man. Well, he was the same way, I think. Yeah, if I recall correctly, he uh, he played a hard ball with with team GMs. You know what? It's not on the Red Wings, so to them, I say, good for you. Get your money absolutely i'm i'd say that about anybody yeah but the moment it happens to the red wings i'm like cut keith kachuk's tires like <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna uh sell most si- most personal data <laughs> yeah i uh i mentioned that claude lemieux like how surreal it must have been on the anniversary of uh the fight night yeah fight night for most cider to look up and see his agent get his ass kicked on the jumbotron all night <laughs> and a lot of people were surprised that claude lemieux is uh his agent sunkfist as well he represents a lot of players. Yeah. Um, I did, but I also did not know how big of how many players he actually represented. He's a much larger agent than I thought. Caught me off guard when I first found out too. Okay. Um, some NHL news. I want to have a quick conversation very briefly. You saw the Taylor Hall uh, punch that got a fine. Yep. What's your take on that one? Man, the internet abs- uh, works in absolutes because it's either Todd Bertuzzi 2.0 <laughs> or you guys are all soft and uh, this sport is, is is tarnished and going straight to hell. I know. It's the either extreme. <laughs> There's no, no nothing right in the middle. It's not Tyler. It's, Tyler, it's not Todd Bertuzzi. Like the, no. No. Not even. That's not it. I don't even want to get into the semantics of how it's not it because it's not it <laughs> so hard. That's how hard it's not End it. of conversation. But it's also not – like everyone's saying, oh, that's just hockey. I'm like, you uh, popped no. a guy from behind in the jaw who's now concussed, right? Like, I mean, there is absolutely no consistency in so- fines and suspensions. So the fact that it was a fine is not surprising at, in the least. Dylan Larkin got his one-game suspension. Dylan Larkin got his one-game suspension after a match penalty, which took him out of half of the game, which they lost. So that was a big impact. And then they they, they gave him another game off. And I, you know what? We all watched it, and we said, look, I think Dylan was justified. 
personally loved it as Wings fans, but that's probably the right call from the Department of Player Safety. Yeah, you, you give them one game, you a bit of a slap on the wrist, and one game for a guy like Taylor Hall is a lot more than a $5,000 fine. Oh my God. If you're going to find someone $5,000, you may as well just suspend them a game. Taylor Hall lost $5,000 in cash when he was moving from Buffalo to Boston. Like, Yeah. My... I understand that there are different punches and it looked like Dylan's had more force, but in terms of outcome, Taylor Hall's did more damage. Definitely looks worse, especially when you you, re, you, you come from the, the, the blind side of some guy and sucker him right into the chin. I don't think either was good. I just don't see how one of them is a match penalty and a game and the other is nothing. Two the minute minor. Consistency of inconsistency. I hate to give credit to Leafs fans, but they're not wrong to be mad at this. The standard has been set. I, for example, the Austin Matthews cross check to Delene's head and neck or face or whatever he hit. I thought that was the right call. I thought two games was the right call for that. I thought that was intentional and malicious and stupid of Matthews. And they called it fairly. And I, you even see a lot of Leafs fans going, yeah, that's fair. But why not these 10 examples, which all look the exact same? How come those weren't anything? And again, you hate to, it's just like we hate saying Brad's right. You hate to give him credit, but why, why was that called right? And why was the one on Larkin called right? But, you know, Taylor Hall walks away with. Fines should be for like embellishment or throwing another player's stick over the, over the glass or. (laughs) I take that fine every day. (laughs) Yeah. Like just stuff like that. But when it's like violence and maliciousness it should not fall under the finable category it should be games or not i understand collective bargaining ties hands i only thing the players union got right was allowing a maximal max maximum fine of five thousand dollars i for themselves you mean yes yeah i just like, it's not, you're right. It's not a hockey play. Like, that's not a borderline hit where you're like, that wasn't the intention, but the outcome was bad. Or like, he tried, like, he did something stupid and it's not technically against the rules, but it's in bad faith. Like, it's none of that. It, it wasn't a hockey play. You just popped a guy. That's it. It wasn't in a scrum. It wasn't in a fight. You popped a guy who's skating away. And that to me is, it's the biggest indicator that George Peros and his Department of Player Safety aren't interested in player safety. Like, like, well, we all know that the NHL is not in interested in player safety anyway they play the uh the clip of you on the podcast saying i love violence on repeat every day that's, that's that you know when the nhl players hit the thing above the the dressing room as they go out that says <laughs> do your job and shit like that that's the department when you check in at the department of player safety in the morning you put your hand on the thing that says i love violence <laughs> like the the pledge of allegiance uh well the thing is they could just give taylor hall a game and everyone's like both sides are like yeah okay he kind of suckered a guy okay i get it the other side's like well he suckered our guy the precedence with larkin has been a game so he gets a game okay nope can't be that easy five thousand dollar fine and leafs and boston fans meet at dawn Well, I'm sure that'll be the last controversy with regards to suspension or fine. <laughs> Just in time for Wes McCauley to do is ask me anything on the hockey subreddit. <laughs> that is so obviously, that is so obviously like a, a PR camp. Yeah. Yes. 
because we they just did the GM summit. I don't know if it's still ongoing. And the number one conversation was the refing in the NHL. And then there's a clip of Kyle Dubas laughing about the about the consistency of refereeing. And then here comes Wes McCauley on on the subreddit because he's the fan favorite. Yeah, it's uh it's a very big tell that the ref and the refing association in the NHL know that there's something wrong. <laughs> that clip of Dubas fan is funny. So he gives a great answer after a very diplomatic answer, but the start of it is just hilarious. My um my favorite conversation that's going on right now with the the GM meetings, the GM summit is the whole what do we do with the cap? Like the LTIR loophole conversation. Yep. And like, you know, Ken Holland is bringing up a lot of like what ifs and there's like talk of the hybrid model where the the game you have to play or the 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 roster you ice has to have has to be cap compliant. Whatever it is, it just right now looks like they're circling the drain and they're not going to change anything. Why should why are the GMs trying to fix a rule that they exploit for their benefit? Because not all GMs exploit it for their benefit. Some of them don't. And so they're the ones that are kicking up the fuss. Also, it was brought up apparently at the meetings that people didn't love Kucherov, like having the hat and the t-shirt and stuff. Oh, of course they didn't like that. <laughs> the NHL probably hated that. Yeah. Which is not our problem as consumers. It's their problem because this loophole exists within their rules and str- salary structures anyways they're gonna have to get the uh the players to agree to it and the players won't. good luck yeah they're gonna have to give them something and the gms are already pissed off because of that it all just seems like a big we talked about it we could have come to an agreement so we'll see what they actually land on the hard salary cap i think brad loves the salary cap so i can never get in this argument with him <laughs> but i i hate it really i think it's the worst possible thing the nhl could do i like the salary cap I okay, I can be convinced on a soft cap where let's say you have I'm just making this up a a luxury tax where every dollar over the percentage that you pay is ex- exponentially more. So 100,000 100 million dollar team is 150 million dollars. I don't know, that would be ludicrous, but I'm just making that up. Or you have designated players like the MLS has where those players don't count against the cap. So if you have let's say two or something and Connor McDavid's a free agent. They're like, we'll give you $50 million a year to play on our team. Yeah. I think the rich teams will still be very good regardless of a salary cap or not. Is that true though? Cause you know, the Red Wings have had money for a long time and they've been sitting in the Well, incompetency does not, well, previous incompetency makes it difficult to really weaponize your cap space. Canadian teams are always like, well, I guess not Ottawa, but Canadian teams by and large have been flush with money. It's never, never been an issue for them. They've not dominated because I, and I think that's a function of the cap. Well, maybe we should let the teams who bring in the most money win the most. So with the luxury tax, with the excess payment, the excess dollars, would that fund the teams who earn the least? Is that how that would work? I don't know. What is... The only comparison I have is the MLB. Um, and I don't know what they do with their excess tax dollars. Probably just give it to themselves. <laughs> but, you know, maybe that's an idea. I don't I don't think the properly structured and performing team uh, organizations 
really want to be funding the teams that suck. Um, but I don't know what they would do with that money. Cause that's, that, <clears throat> that's my biggest fear, right? Like, I don't love the salary cap. I actually don't mind like the game within the game of like pe- putting people under the cap, but I understand how that not everyone loves that. And that's fine. And I understand it limits players' salaries and that's fine. Like, that's a very fair argument from the players. The owners love it because it limits players' salaries. But what I'm worried about is not that the Coyotes have been kicking down the door, but I just cannot see a situation where the Coyotes or, you know, when the Caps were at their worst pre-OV or teams who aren't bringing in Florida Panthers, like they don't get into dominant situations or situations where they can compete or win cups, compete for or win cups without a mechanism to push them up the order and level the playing field. And and that's what I think the cap does. So if there's a system whereby like, where financially they get those dollars back because they, you know, if team in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, who's owned by you and you're not some megacorp, you only have a billion dollars to your name. Meanwhile, Comcast has a trillion dollars to their name. You'll never be able to compete with them unless there's a way through their luxury tax, you are then funded and then you get a little bit more money to play with and then you can start to bring in better players. Yeah, maybe that could help eliminate escrow. There's a lot that you can do here. But the quickest way to turn around in Arizona Coyotes is let them sign Connor McDavid to whatever they want. Yeah, I want to go there, which I guess is also already true. Yeah, like... They want to have a good team and get people in the building and they're willing to spend the money. We'll give Connor McDavid $20 million a year for the next 10 years. This would be a good Patreon exclusive, but Brad has. And I'm sure there's like a bajillion things in all of this that I have not thought about. And other people are like, well, what about this? What about this? And they're absolutely right. But I just think the hard cap actually makes the league less, gives it less parity. Interesting. We need more time for this one. And we need to like give like Dose Brad's water so he chills out a little bit. And- Brad's probably got like a t- 15 page essay ready for this already. Yeah. He's yeah. been like, I've been waiting to pull this out for years. He's a PowerPoint. Every time he flips a slide, he slaps you with an yeah. extendable arm. Yeah. Keep your salary cap out of your mouth. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah. I guess we never talked about that. Uh, we don't, do we have to? Everyone. It's been uh, classic content. The be- oh. like the biggest internet content dropped five minutes after we recorded on Sunday. For a second, I was like, "Oh man, none of our ge- like emergency podcast." <laughs> yeah, honestly, that's the one that you'll actually come back to the studio for. That that conversation got so tired within twelve hours. Ugh. I was like, "Anyone who has a stop, everyone just stop." I had to. I couldn't. I, I can't do it. I don't have, I'm so tired as it is. I just just can't. I don't care. I actually don't care. That's my take on it. It's funny. If you have a, if you have a meme, I'll laugh at it. It's a great meme template. Beyond that, I just can't care. Yeah. If you're not contributing to the meme economy, please don't speak to me. (laughs) Okay. Um, What we're going to do now is uh, jump into overtime. Actually, quickly before we do that, um, we do want to recognize that the Ottawa Senators and the NHL, uh, lost Eugene Melnick just a couple of days ago. Which was surprising to almost everybody. Yeah. So he his health had been failing over the last couple of weeks and um he he passed away, which is, you know, it does not matter anything that you might think about Eugene Melnick. Eugene Melnick is immaterial. 
Um, it's a great loss and uh, condolences to him, his loved ones, his family, his friends, and the Ottawa Senators organization. There are a lot of very, you know, prevalent questions coming out about what's going to happen with the organization, but I think it's important to remember that one of Melnick's biggest legacies is keeping the Senators in Ottawa. Yep. And that's what the league will seek to do as well with however this this ownership There will always be an NHL team in Canada's national or head of capital. Capital. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people may not have liked Eugene Melnick for how physically, fiscally responsible <laughs> he may have been at times. Um, but he was, he was very prominent in a lot of charity work and, um, he did a lot of good things with the money that he he made, and um, yeah, it's it's always sad when when someone like that passes. It's sad when anybody passes away, but especially you know someone who who provides so much entertainment to <clears throat> hockey fans and Senators fans. Yeah, you you don't need to look any further than Senators fans who would have been his biggest open critics just a couple weeks prior, and, and the words that they had for him. So exactly, um, our thoughts are with. Um, his family and his loved ones. Yep. Okay, let's uh, wrap this one up by jumping into overtime. And uh, overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Um, thank you to all of our new patrons. We can't say we can't say thank you enough or well enough. Um, the support you've given the show has allowed us to grow in ways that we could have never imagined. So um, it means the world to us, even Evan. Who feels yep. nothing? It's literally the craziest thing in my life. Yeah, it's not an exaggeration. It it doesn't make any sense to me still, but all all I can say is thank you. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to join the Dub Dub Club and um, our Discord's all, uh, like just out of control in the best kinds of ways right now. It is off the chain. If you're gonna just if you've got a spare dollar or whatever, um, it's definitely worth just being a part of that because we all suffer together. <laughs> And I put the instructions on how to join the Discord like pinned to the top of Patreon. Yeah, for some reason, we have a bot that's supposed to add you and send you the link and organize it all for you, but it may be broken because that's how Discord rules. Um, but yeah, the, the instructions are there as well. All right, let's take some questions from our patrons. Uh, Hockey Town Racing Academy says, at this point, currently, what are Raymond and Larkin's ceilings? I think you're kind of close to Larkin's. Yeah, you got to imagine that this is about best case scenario for Larkin, um, at least the first half of the year, especially like that is the or up to the All Star break, I'd say. Yep. Um, that, but stay healthier. Less night, fewer nagging injuries. Raymond, oh god, the sky's the limit. He could be a hundred point player. Absolutely. From the looks of him. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> he- if he scored in one fashion or produced in one fashion, I'd be like, yeah, point per game player would be ideal for him. Um, but he produces in every single possible fashion. 100 point player. I think it's possible. I And you know how conservative we are with those estimates. I But I think if he's scoring 50 in his rookie season where he's not really been exactly hot for half of it. Yeah. I I definitely see that there as long as his um and as the team starts to insulate him with even better players because he's doing this 
Like he's doing it on the top line with with good NHL players, but when the attention can be taken away from that line a little bit more, um, there's going to be a lot more opportunities to to improve uh, his point totals. Okay, Ben Barron says, Hello, Dub Dubs. I attended the appropriately titled Letdown game against the Rangers, and I was curious as to this idea. Is Danny DeKaiser actually good for this team? I've noticed an instrumental difference in this team when he plays, whether it might be they play harder because he's back there or him making the correct play most of the time, despite obviously being slow. Keep up the great work. You know what? I think there are moments or things that Danny DeKaiser does in the game, which are just completely drowned out and overshadowed by his physical deficiencies on the ice, which are always, and for good reasons, going to be the loudest thing about him. I don't think it's wrong to say he does certain things right that, you know, a Jordan Osterley doesn't maybe have the hockey IQ to do. Danny DeKaiser got by on being a smart player. Just because you age doesn't mean you get less smart. So he's... Well... (laughs) For some of us. Yeah. (laughs) I'm definitely feeling it. So you're going to see with time and space, he's not going to – he's not universally bad. Does he make the difference? Like, does he tilt the scales on the ice? I don't know if I go that far. But I think it's fair to recognize aspects of the game that, you know, aren't as bad or maybe even better than what Jordan Osterley might do in that spot or what Mark Mark Stahl might do in that spot. It's like those beer league guys who are much older than everyone else, but they are still really good when the puck's on their stick. Yeah. They just can't make it happen as quickly as some of the 20-year-olds can. Kind of feels like that a little bit. Um, Bert Timsey says, am I the only one that absolutely hates the Ric Flair woo at games? I think you are the only person. <laughs> it's all I can hear during the broadcast, and it feels like a bad omen every time we're in a close game in the third. We need to kill it. What are Where are you in the woo? I want to hear none of that. That was 100% sarcasm, by the way. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm not a woo guy. Just shut up. <laughs> if it was between that or shoot it, Abdulkader, I think I would take the woos. Come on, Abdulkader. Because people injecting what they believe an NHL player, a professional athlete should do is much more painful to listen to. And I and I am a golfer. This is all I hear on TV. Get in the hole and mashed potatoes and all the other dumb stuff people say. If you were at, I don't, I don't want to say the waste management uh, classic or open, whatever it is. The but wasted it, management. Wasted management. You're at the Masters. You're at the 18th. They hole. kick you out. Really? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. All right. They've banned commentators for saying things that they didn't like. So if you call them spectators, you're gone. They're the they're patrons. That's amazing. Yeah. Um That's astonishing. Uh They've yeah, I'm trying to think of uh, I can't remember who it was. One of the NBC or announcers got they told him you can't do the commentary anymore cuz he called he said something about a bikini wax and they're like see you later. <laughs> Yeah. That's a paddling. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're very strict. Okay, so you're not at the Masters. You're at the U.S. Open. Okay. 18th hole. Your favorite golfer of all time is Tiger, I'm assuming. Yep. Tiger is Tiger's putting to go to the playoff. What do you yell? I'm yelling, get in the hole. <laughs> but it's, 
there's there's a lot more context involved in that get in the hole because people will yell it on a par five off the t-block because they're just so i don't even know what they are what do you yell on a par five off the t-block nothing i stand there and go holy shit i can't believe a human being can do that that's amazing because i i've was at one a u.s open and was on the t-block behind dustin johnson and brooks kepka and the distance in which that ball continues to go up in the air is absolutely incredible to watch. But yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah don't don't woo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, last question here from Josh Terrell. Greater chance of playing 100 games of the Wings, McIsaac or Tuomisto? If McIsaac body gets him 100 games in the NHL, that'd be pretty pretty cool. I would think McIsaac right now just because he's closer. It yeah, seems. for sure. Um. But yeah, you're right. The the bodies he's gonna have to get there. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we're gonna wrap this one up. Uh, thank you all so much for your support of the show. Um, thank you to our listeners, uh, everyone who's left us the ratings on iTunes and Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. To the sponsors of this show, Fanduel Sportsbook, and to our name level supporters on Patreon, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation. Kyle Kragitz, Nick Perks, Brett Bailey, Terry Driver of the number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana, Slam and Jamathong, Matthew M. Rice, B. Diz, Billy Howell, um, Boos Lobsinger, Brian Johnson, who's a new name level sponsor. Brian, thank you so, so much for your support. Carl Brutan and Nanaluski, Chimmy, Citizen High Five, CJ Sully, Craig Kibble, Daniel Garcia. That's why I said Daniel Garcia. Because there was a patron named Daniel Garcia. <laughs> well, maybe he did play in the U.S. Open against Tiger Woods. I have no idea. <laughs> Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood a Fight Probert, Given Good D with Brian Hanna, Greech, Hanna Lee, Hassam Al-Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog, Ben Barron, Connor Leighton, Dave W., Eric Sinkowski, Evans Bingo Card, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Stull, Matt Keeler, Matt S., Max $1 million, Missing Vladdy More Than Ever, Papa Woody, Parking on the Street, Read on behalf of Tyler and Jake, the man, the myth, and the meme. Revy DeLuca, Terry Actual, Trevor Pevavar, Zach Handyside, and Zach McCann, a driving range superstar. Thank you all so very much, and we'll be back with you on Sunday night. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at wingedwheelpod. And of course, the host at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.